We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome, Irish fans, to another edition of the Irish Breakdown podcast. I am Vince D'Addario. I'm the football analyst here at Irish Breakdown and joined by Brian Driscoll. As always, he's the publisher at Irish Breakdown, and uh, we get to talk about an Irish victory, yet another Irish victory. Uh, Notre Dame goes to 2-0 and in the ACC, so they are uh, sitting atop the standings as we speak uh, hopefully that is the same moving forward, but we're gonna we're gonna break down this game against the Florida State Seminoles, and uh, you know just our thoughts on the game overall. Then we'll we'll kind of jump into the offense, you know specifically, you know where were they successful? Where do we see you know improvement being needed, especially after that three week layoff? And then the defense was, you know, a little surprising, I think, uh, Brian. So we'll we'll talk about that a little bit as well. But uh, first, welcome. Uh, good to talk to you again after a nice long weekend of college football, and uh, let, let's chat about this Florida State game. What, what were your initial thoughts leaving the stadium late on Saturday night? You know, I I think it was a game where you you say to yourself like, okay, there's a lot this team has to clean up, but I I, I liked how they competed. I think that was a big thing for me. You know, I think one of the things that we discussed last week, one of the things that I kind of talked about going into the game on my you know what to look for article was. I can live with sloppiness. I can live with mistakes. I can live with, you know, some of the blown assignments we saw on Saturday. When you consider not just the time off, but again, it wasn't like they were practicing this entire time. If they were practicing right. this entire time, like let's say Notre Dame didn't have the outbreak and Wake Forest did, 
and Wake Forest had to cancel the game because of something happened to Wake Forest, Notre Dame would have been practicing this entire time. And, and, sure. and you yeah, would have right. ex- had an expectation of, yeah, you should play well. But when you when you don't practice, I mean, I expect some of that stuff. But what I wanted to see was, are they going to be physical? Are they going to play hard? Because I can clean up as a coach. I can clean up a guy running, you know, the timing of his routes being off. He's rushing his routes, so he's cutting his routes off on four steps instead of six. Or he's cutting his routes, routes off at six yards instead of nine. Or whatever the case may be. That's stuff we can right. work on. Uh, you know, safety took a bad angle to the football. But are they playing hard? Uh, and I don't, and I didn't see any scenarios where I really ever looked at anybody and felt like, boy, that guy just isn't giving me any effort right now. Um, the, the, there were a couple instances, but they were rare for the most part. I thought they played hard. They just didn't play well all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Notre Dame was clearly the more talented team. Um, they were clearly the more physical team. They were the bigger team, and they were the faster team at almost every spot. And so, uh, when you have that kind of talent advantage, you can get away with some of those things. And and they were fortunate that look, the schedule was really set up nicely for Notre Dame, Vince. And this is another example of it, meaning uh, most of the COVID stuff that's going to happen to people is going to happen early. You know, because, again, the rules are if you test positive for COVID, you don't get tested again for 90 days. So I think Notre Dame's close to like 35, 40 guys or somewhere around there over the, since the beginning of this whole thing that have tested positive. It's almost half your team. And they don't have to test again until the regular season's over with. Right. So, you know, you're, you're not going to see I, – I don't think, anyway, you know, again, was, things could change, I guess, but I don't see a scenario like this happening. So the fact that it happened early in the season when you're playing really the – clearly the worst part of your schedule uh, is, is a positive for Notre Dame. So it lets them work out some of those kinks. So they, they did catch a little bit of a break there. You know, you wouldn't want to be coming to this game when you're playing Clemson or, or even a, a Pitt or a BC or something like that, you know. So it was fortunate they played Florida State because, you know, so far Notre Dame's first three opponents are a combined 3-10. and 10. True. And two of those three wins were over FCS teams. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other win was over a Syracuse teams. It's like 1-3. and three. So uh, yeah. that's allowed them to – and Urban Meyer talked about this during the offseason is a, a good early schedule is going to be important with this crazy offseason. And so Notre Dame was able to weather that storm. Uh, they played hard. And the reason they were able to weather it again, Vince, is because I thought they played hard. And that was a big thing. And when you play hard, uh, you're and you have talent, a significant talent gap, you're going to win these kind of games. Can can we revisit uh, one of the comments you just made about the fact that Notre Dame was faster than Florida State at all positions? Because most, almost know, all, almost well, all, almost all, because that always seems to be a talking point uh, across the country with Notre Dame about how, you know, they lack elite speed. Well, the head coach says it all the time. Why why wouldn't fans and media people (laughs) say that when the head coach freaking says it all the time? There you go. And then Miles Boykin and Will Fuller's the fastest receiver in the draft and one of the fast players in the draft. And then Miles Boykin Boykin runs a low 4-4. Chase Claypool runs a low 4-4. He doesn't have any problems with speed in the NFL, it would seem. Right. You know, I've never understood why he keeps saying that, other than just Brian Kelly likes to tamp things down with the media. So, I, so look, he—I don't want to get into this because I want to talk about the win, and it was a good win. Sure. But no, it, it is—it is frustrating because every year people are surprised, right? That, and exactly. I went back and read some of my pre-Chase Claypool stuff, and I'm like, I was criticizing people then, like before the combine, like you guys keep saying he's not fast. No, he is fast. He just doesn't have good technique. And one of the things I wrote in my uh, draft profile for Claypool was if some team takes him and can coach him up, he, he's going to be really good. And so far, he, he's been that. And so I, I don't see a speed problem. I don't. I never have understood. What, the speed problem they had against Duke 
was by choice. You chose to put Ben Skoranek, Javon McKinley, and two tight ends on the field at the same sure. time. That yeah. was a choice. You had you had Lawrence Keyes. You had Joe Wilkins. You had Jordan Johnson. You had Xavier Watt. You had Chris Tyree on the bench. That was your choice. Okay? So, no, Notre Dame doesn't have a speed problem. Now, there was one matchup where I thought Ohio, where Florida State had a speed advantage, and that was Sean Crawford against Tamori and Terry. Well, Tamori and Terry is going to have a speed advantage over say. most people. Yeah. Uh, you know, and especially being at 6'4". And, and Sean still held his own. I mean, he got beat for a touchdown and, and got beat again later, but you know, he also made some plays in the game too. But And that's also not where he's going to be starting. I mean, we never talked coming in the season right. he was going to be the full-time starting quarterback. That's that was because right now. Yeah. Cam Hart was out. Nick McLeod was out till Wednesday. Clarence Lewis was out till thir- I mean, they were, excuse me, Thursday. I think Clarence Lewis was out till Thursday. So that was something that you needed to do. And in typical Sean Crawford fashion, and we'll get more into this when we talk about the defense. He steps up wherever he's needed, and he and he makes game winning plays, which is something Absolutely. he's done his whole career. So, but but the point is. I've never understood Notre Dame's defensive line is more athletic than Florida State's defensive line. I think their linebackers are every bit as athletic as Florida State's linebackers, and in some spots, a.k.a. Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa, they're more athletic than Florida State. They're more athletic at safety. Uh, and, you know, Asante Samuel may be a better player than Tariq Bracey, but he's not necessarily a better athlete than Tariq Bracey. Uh, and, and Notre Dame's receivers, when you have Braden Lindsey out there, Javon McKinley showed while beating Asante Samuel three times for three of his five catches, you know, that, that his combination of size and athleticism is a lot better than he's often get, getting credit for. So, and then, of course, there's this Tyree kid that Notre Dame has a running back that was the fastest dude on the field Saturday. <laughs> so I, I've never understood that at, at all. So, I mean, there's been times in the past, Brian Kelly's first couple years, yeah, Notre Dame was was dynamic in spots, Harrison Smith, Michael Floyd. But overall, they weren't a very athletic team. They were a big physical team. Now you look at this roster and you say, they may not have great players everywhere, but they have athletes everywhere. And, and that was, to me, very, very obvious on Saturday. All right, so let's jump into the offense, Brian. Uh, get a little bit more specific on uh, the game. Look, the do- the domination was up front. I mean, I, let, let's let's call it what it is. The the offensive line for Notre Dame, I think, really took a step forward overall. Uh, just from, I mean, even the announcers at times seemed to be flabbergasted with how well the offensive line was playing against again. And we talked about this going in the defensive front for. Florida State was supposed to be the strength of their defense, and it looked like the varsity versus the JV. So uh, I want to ask you specifically, what did you see from the offensive line? Uh, and you can include you know, Dylan Gibbons coming in at left guard while Aaron Banks had to move to left tackle because Liam Eikenberg apparently got punched in the face through a helmet. I'm not sure how that went down, but he had that was the fact that he came back in the game just tells you pretty much everything that you need to know after seeing what it looked like. But um, just a little bit about the offensive line and, and your after watching the film again, watching those guys and what they were able to do to that Florida State front. I'm going to flip the script, Vince. I'm not going to answer the question I'm first. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to answer it after I ask you a question. Oh, okay. What individual offensive lineman did you think played a brilliant game where you're like, that guy should be on the player of the week conversation? Uh, honestly, I thought Jarrett Patterson played amazing. Okay. I thought he dominated okay. in the middle. Uh, going up against a guy who outweighed him, uh, which he will most of the time against the mm-hmm. defensive tackle. Uh, but I like what he was able to do. He was reestablishing the line of scrimmage an awful lot. Mm-hmm. And? 
Uh, let's see here. Uh, no, I, I'm not setting you up. My, my okay. Po- my point is. Your point is, I could say anything and I would be correct, right? Well, the the point is, I don't think anyone played a brilliant game. I don't oh, think okay. Jared Patterson was as good as he was against South Florida. Okay. It, it, he was good. He was very good, right? Everything you said is correct. But to me, he did what you expect Jarrett Patterson to do. Sure. And this, sure, sure. to me, is my point. I didn't think Liam Eikenberg played a great game. I didn't think Robert Hainsey played a great game. I didn't think that Aaron Banks played a great game. I didn't think that, Le- that that Tommy Kramer played a great game. I thought they played great as a unit. Yeah. And that's what I'm referring to. Gotcha. Is you saw – you didn't see any, like, even the mistakes. Like, Tommy Kramer had a couple times where he lost a guy, but he, he still competed and battled, so he was able to stay keep a body on. And there'd be a snap here where maybe they were, like, getting off to a combo block. Some of those timing things that we talked about. But what makes this unit so good and what has hurt them in the past, because this is what's hurt them in the past couple years, beyond just what we've I've complained a lot about, which is they just don't get any push. They are very they catch a lot. We saw none of like very little of that on Saturday. Yeah, I agree. And the times we did see it, it was against loaded boxes where it's kinda like just get a body and and ride them out and let the back, you know, in a goal line situation, you know, you know, find a hole. Uh, we saw very little of that. We saw them driving, but we didn't see what would plague them. It, it's just, it was so frustrating at times because it's like four guys would do their job and then one guy would mess up and get beat. And then the next play, four guys would do their job and then one guy would mess up. They're playing so well as a unit right now. And, and Jeff Quinn and, and Chris Watt both deserve a lot of credit for that. And Jeff Quinn, obviously, is the offensive line coach, deserves a ton of credit for that. right? And I've been very hard on Jeff Quinn. But I also said this offseason, I hope he proves me wrong. And so far, three games in against not great competition, uh, he has proven me he has proven me wrong. I mean, he's really got this unit yeah. playing mentally. And my concern in this game was they were playing so well in the previous six quarters that I was concerned that would this would this kind of uh, slow them down a little bit? Nope. I mean, from the jump, they were physical. They were. I mean, they were getting after it. They were. Yeah. They were punishing them, and they were playing so well together. Now, the other part of it, it, it reminded me a lot of the, the the last time I really saw them play this well as a unit was the USC game last year. And but even then it was a lot of catching, you know, and it, sure, it was yeah. and Tony Jones was, you know, just played his his butt off. But this was such a great unit performance that it was like, wow, like it, it reminded me it's, it's the most dominant five man performance that I've seen since USC in 2017. I mean, Let, and you remember how just how because oh yeah for sure Nelson was brilliant that game, but Alex Bars was great that game. Sam Mustafer was great that game. The right tackles were great that game, and that's kind of what we saw Saturday, Vince, which was encouraging. Was they play so well together, and you just watch like little things like you go back and watch the first long run and the first touchdown, the two two runs that from from Kyron Williams. Nobody had a a Quentin Nelson esque block. Aaron Banks drove his guy off the ball. Liam Meikenberg kind of stepped in, and then his guy tried to go outside, so he just kind of rode him outside and just, bam, opens up this big run lane. Tommy Kramer on the counter run doesn't get a great body on a guy because the guy's flying so hard, but he just he does what he needs to do, which is just get a body on him and make that guy go outside of you. You don't have to crush him because guess what? Making him go around you has the same effect as you pancaking oh, him. Oh, absolutely. You know, and, and so – that's what I thought was so encouraging by this performance, Vince, was they were still playing like they didn't take just two weeks off. And that and as bad as Florida State is as a team, they're not bad on the defensive line. Right. It's a yes. good it's not as good as I thought it was gonna be, 
they weren't playing with the same energy that I've seen them in the past, but they still played hard and Notre Dame whooped them. And that's that's what I like. That's what I like to see. I like to see five yeah. guys working together and just dominating, yeah. executing their assignments. And the other thing too is Florida State was doing a lot of movement. And okay. that's something in the past that has given Notre Dame a lot of problems. It has. You're right. And, we talked and, about that. And a there was lot. a couple times here and there where, and that's going to happen. You're going to get. You're not going to block 100 percent correct every single time, right? So there's some stuff as Jeff Quinn, I'm sure, and hopefully Chris Watt will be in the film room. Hey, we got to clean that up. We got to get better here. We got we got to get off the combo block a little sooner there. There's always going to be things unless you beat them 100 to nothing in the national title game. There's always going to be things you can, you know, you can get better at. I think about the only time I've ever seen an offense play to a level that you're like, yeah, I don't know what to do is, you know, LSU against Oklahoma last year in the semifinal game. I don't know if there'd have been a whole lot of correcting from that game, but, but overall, I just, I thought they handled that stuff really well. I thought they handled the blitz as well. And here's the other thing, Vince, is it, 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 they now have backs that I think multiple backs and they didn't last year is basically when Tony Jones was healthy, they were pretty good running the ball. Tony Jones is hurt. They couldn't run the ball. Yeah, this year I feel like they've got multiple backs that can take advantage of how well they're playing. But before we move to the running backs, I wanted to ask you real quick uh, about that counter play. They, you know, that was kind of like the star of the game, according to Tony Dungy, and you know the announcing crew, et cetera. And anybody that watches football could tell that those holes that were opening in that counter play were were ridiculously big. So I want to ask you, was it the play of the Notre Dame line or? And and I and I also understand that in the first series, you know, you can take advantage of some things and, and you know, certain things work, but then the defense adjusts. Did Florida State adjust to their counterplay or did Notre Dame was that did they just execute it so well that it didn't matter what Florida State was doing? Well, I, I think Florida State eventually adjusted and and we saw them overloading the boundary a little bit more and doing some different things where they were crashing off the edge. And that's why Notre Dame only scored seven points in the second half, which yeah. was my big concern coming out of this game. This game was never a blowout in the second half. It was a 16-point game almost the entire second half. True. And uh, it was never a time where I felt like, oh, yeah, you can just coast. And, and they couldn't put the ball in the end zone. So they actually flipped. They were sloppy in the second half, great in the first half. I thought it would have been reversed. And and so that's concerning. You know, I thought they lost a little bit of their aggressiveness in the second half. And, and, and you know, Florida State loaded the box, and they weren't as good throwing the ball in the second half. And, and they only threw one pass in the fourth quarter, you know, which I thought was kind of – actually, I kind of liked on that final drive was basically just kind of running it down Florida State's throat. But – you know, yeah, there's also the running backs making some big plays in this game too. I mean, and you know, you go back and you look at the first long run from Kyron Williams, and you know, Florida State's got it played kind of how you think they should have it played. It's an inside zone play, and Florida State has four dudes on in the backside, and Notre Dame has three blockers. And I don't know if Notre Dame was reading the read zone, and Ian Book made the wrong read. Or if they don't, they're not really actually running a read zone and they're just hoping that the quarterback will freeze somebody, but they didn't block the defensive end. Now, they weren't, the offensive line wasn't supposed to block the defensive end. Uh, and he comes down and Kyron Williams just makes a miss. And we saw that four or five times. And yeah. what that was is the offensive line is only supposed to block, can only block, you know, if there's six blockers, you can only block six guys. <laughs> right? And there Simple was times math, when right? Florida State, or and if you only have three to one side and they bring four, you can only block three. And and that's just going to happen, and and you need backs that are good enough to to make guys miss. And, and, and 
I mean, as, as good as Josh Adams was at, at certain things, there were three or four runs on Saturday, a couple from Chris Tyree and a couple from Kyron Williams, where I'm like, as good as Josh Adams was, that's maybe a two-yard gain or a two-yard loss because yeah. he just wasn't an elusive guy. Right. He was a hit-the-hole-and-go guy. If the crease was there, he was going to yes. score. I mean, sure. You know, now there were some plays where Kyron Williams got caught after a cer- certain yards that Josh Adams would have taken to the house. I mean, so they're just different backs. So, sure. You know, those are things that, that opponents are going to see in future games that Notre Dame's going to have to have an answer for. And there were some times where Notre Dame, you know, blocked really good movement, but they only gained three, four yards because Notre Dame wasn't blocking somebody. Well, if you're not, if you're not going to use your quarterback on, on those reads or if you're not going to RPO teams, then you're not going to be able to get away with that when you're playing Clemson, you know, maybe Pitt. Right, right. And, and so, so there's some stuff to clean up. But, again, give me 554 yards and, you know, however many rushing yards they had uh on saturday give me that with a lot of stuff to clean up any day of the week and i'll feel really good about it now you know and and what was it uh 353 yards 8.4 yards a carry and and have stuff they gotta figure out so that's um (laughs) well i that's a good place to be i i feel like yeah no i feel like the the running back tandem of williams and tyree is one of the better one-two punches that Notre Dame's had in recent history. I mean, they've had some good, you know, A-backs, I guess you could say, but there's not much of a drop-off when Chris Tyree comes into the game. I I, I just really like how the two well, of those I actually guys think he's better. I, yeah. I think Chris Tyree's better than Kyron Williams right now. I just don't know if Chris Tyree is prepared to handle the workload that Kyron Williams okay. is prepared to handle right now. Um, and, and that's not a knock on Kyron Williams because Kyron Williams just carried the ball 19 times for 185 yards. It's just, I think Chris Tyree is really, really good. And I was shocked that, you know, that he, you know, he goes three carries for 60 some yards and then we don't see him again until like late in the game. That was a little confusing to me, but whatever it is what it is. Um, but you know, it, it, the thing I like about it too, Vince is they're, they're similar backs, meaning you don't have to change your offense to, to have them, you know, where Dexter Williams and Josh Adams were different backs. And then when Dexter got hurt and you had Tony Jones, he was a different kind of back. You know, uh, Dion Dion uh, McIntosh was a different kind of back than Josh Adams. You know, but so you kind of had to. You know, Josh could do certain things that Dexter wasn't great at, and Dexter could do things that Josh wasn't necessarily good at. These two guys execute the same place, and that's great for an offensive line because at that point in time, you really genuinely don't care who's in the backfield. You're right. just look, just do your job, and, and those guys will do it. And, and you've got backs that are good enough to say, "Hey, we're going to block these six. You got to handle that seventh guy," you know. And they're doing it, you know. And again, yeah. will they be able to do it against Clemson and those teams? We don't know. Um, but I think they're talented enough to still make plays against those teams. They're playing at a level right now as running backs and as an offensive line that I say I feel comfortable. If they keep playing like they're playing now, I feel good about them going up against anybody on the schedule, and that includes Clemson. The stuff that needs to be adjusted is more of a coaching thing, and, and not coaching as in like they're doing something wrong, but like, okay, you guys see what's going on. You see how teams are going to sure. play you. You see they're going to do those extra guys in the box. What are you going to do to have an answer for that? Mm-hmm. And and so we're going to see. We're going to see. You know, and, and this weekend will, will be easy because they're playing a terrible defense. But, you know, how do they handle Pitt? You know, how do they handle Clemson? How do they handle mm-hmm. some of those other teams? So, I, I love what I'm seeing from the front, and 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 let's not. I mean, let's not kid ourselves too. They they have really good blocking tight ends as well, which is a huge part of this. When you have great blocking tight ends, um, you're you're gonna you're gonna have something. And, and 
you know, the, the 2017 tight ends were good blockers. You know, you had Durham Smythe who's a good blocker. Nick Wisher was a good blocker. But these two, you know, when you look at Tommy Trumbull and, and you know, he's the best blocking tight end they've had since Troy Nicholas. And, and I'd even argue might even be better than Troy Nicholas already. Michael Mayer for a freshman is a really good blocker. I mean, really good yeah. blocker. And Brock Wright's solid as a blocker too. He's not a great blocker, but he's gotten better. You know, he's get, he's yeah. getting to where he needs to get to, and he's he's doing a solid job. So, you've got great blocking tight ends who also can you know stretch the field and make plays in the pass game, as we've seen. So, uh, it, it's really just a great run game operation. And and kudos to Tommy Reese because I know I'm I'm a big fan. Like you know, yeah, you want to be creative and you want to show people how smart you are, but sometimes it's like, hey, let's just keep running this until they can't stop it. And I thought they did it out of a they, like they counter. I, if, if my if my analysis is correct. They didn't run it out of the same formation every time. They did some different right. looks. Sometimes they brought the tight end over, you know, same with inside zone. Sometimes the tight end would kick back from the from the front, you know, from the right side, you know, front side, and then kick back backside. Sometimes they'd just line them up backside. So they gave them different looks and ran the same plays, which is what I've always said I want to see, you know. And so I still think there's some more diversity that can be done, but. That's going to happen when you get past your third game and you get into your fourth, fifth, and sixth game. So, uh, you know, you know, I I liked that from Tommy Reese. I just now I want to see what do you do in the second half after they've made some adjustments. How are your in-game adjustments? Like your game planning for the run game was great, but now how are you going to adjust uh, and, and get better when you get to the second half? So, impressed with the run game for the most part. Let's move on to the pass game. Uh, we can either start with the wide receivers or we can start with Ian Book himself. Um, you know, with uh, Austin coming back, everybody had, you know, different views on what he was going to be able to bring to the table. We were told that Ben Skoranek was going to come back. He really didn't. Uh, and he Kelly still has talked the nagging... about that in the press, con- press yes. conference today. He said he just, he didn't feel, he didn't feel right. Yeah, so he, he had the know, nagging hamstring, right. yep. So, you know, Kevin Austin came back. Um, I'm not sure how many snaps he had, Porting but I think he only had the one target. Three. Okay. And he, he, and one he just had the one target. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and we can talk about that as well. That was the, the long throw early in the game uh, that ended up being incomplete. But you and I both uh, were talking on um, – the site uh, during the game, uh, for those of you that follow along on irishbreakdown.com during the game, we both liked that play call. And that was a great play call. And I was also on. okay with Tommy Reese not reading, the, or I mean, Ian Book not reading the play out. I don't know if he was even sure. told to read because Tommy Trumbull was wide open. Right. But I don't. But it's go deep. I Yes. I think it was kind of like what we talked about last week. It's that when, when yeah. we call this play, barring triple coverage, you, you know what right. I mean? Uh, throw the ball to Kevin. Absolutely. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Yo, me too. I and we've been we've been calling for that for so long, uh, because it you put it on film, you put it in people's minds. Like, look, we can go deep, and you have to respect that. Uh, and frankly, it was almost caught. I mean, it was in the. It, it was. It was good. an off target throw. It. I would have liked sure. to see him get you know give him give him a little bit more of an opportunity to go make that play. But, but I did like it. Yeah, I like the play call. It just has to get sure. executed a little bit better. And right, I'm sure it will. I next agree. Time. So so let's let's jump into Ian Book and his play and uh, what you thought of how he came off of the long break um, and and including the long throw. How how did you like the play of the quarterback? You know, I thought I liked what I saw from Ian Book. I think this was a definite step in the right direction from where he played the first two games, which I thought was not good. 
the, what have I been begging for, Vince, the last three or four weeks? It's like, just give your guys a chance. Oh, they, well, they weren't getting separation. I, Javon McKinley doesn't need separation. Javon McKinley was covered, blanket covered by Asante Samuel and still caught a pass for 38 yards, right? Because he's 6'3", and he's got great ball skills and great hands, and he's long, and 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 that's and Ian did that, you know. He he had that ball. He threw two balls, one, and they were two different throws, and that's what I liked. So the two deep balls of McKinley were two different throws. One was sort of that cover two over the top, get the ball, you know, out in the sideline and drop it over that 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 over over shoulder, and he, and he did that. He hit that right. Mm-hmm. And then the other one was it's one on one. Just throw it up there. Let your guy go make a play. And he did that. And he gave him a chance, and Javon made him, you know, rewarded him both times. And and yeah, there were other times that I, I would have liked to see him go to Javon, and, and those are things that you can clean up in the film room. Like, hey, you know, you need to see this. But I, I liked that. I loved the throw he made to Michael Mayer, and and I it was a, it was a, a nod and go to the tight end. And I remember they ran that against Navy back in 2017, 2018, and it was with Cole Komet, and he missed it. He, he it would have been a wide open touchdown, and he missed it. Well, Saturday he had that chance to make that same throw. And Florida State had a backside safety that closed on it pretty quickly. If Ian doesn't see that safety and tries to lead him, it's a pick. Mm-hmm. And so he saw that and he put it right on him, you know. And he and what I mean by right on him is, you know, you either lead a guy or you throw it to where you kind of have to stop his momentum. And Ian threw it to stopped Mayer's momentum, which allowed him to kind of turn his body, square it up, and then take a hit. If he leads him, meaning he doesn't recognize the whole coverage scheme of what Florida State's trying to do, that could be a pick. And so I like that. I like the aggressiveness. And another play that I saw from Ian, which, again, is progress, is there was a play, I think it was late in the second quarter, and it was on one of their scoring drives where Ian steps up and he takes off running, and he starts running outside. And I'm thinking, okay, he's going to scramble for four or five yards. Right. And then he hits Avery Davis on a drag route. Avery Davis had to come into his line of sight. So there's no way he sees that if he's just running. He was running with purpose, and he was running with, okay, keep your eyes downfield. And that's been a big complaint of mine with Ian Book in the past is once he decides to run, it's eyes come down on the rush, and he just goes. So to see that and then get the throw off and then hit him on the drag, to me, was that's what you want to see. And, and you know, so, so those were positive. I mean, again, there's some things that I didn't like. If they're running read zone, he's doing a really bad job executing it. I just don't want to be too critical of that because, honestly, I don't know if they're just doing read zone or if they're just showing read zone action in an attempt to get the 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 backside linebacker or backside end to, to freeze on him. But the reality is is you, you've got to figure out something different there because that's not going to work week after week. You can't keep asking your running backs to just make people miss constantly. <laughs> Um, in space yeah. so they're gonna have to figure that out but overall I mean again it wasn't a great performance for me in book but it was a it was a manage the game and mm-hmm. then when you get a couple chances to make plays you got to make them and for the most part he did that you know the couple mistakes he had you know I, look as a receivers coach I'm ripping Joe Wilkins you man you got to catch that ball you got to catch sure. that ball if I'm the quarterback's coach I'm ripping Ian you put it on his chest why are you throwing a, a, a ball high on a crossing route number one and number two you know, why are you throwing it like he's running a 30-yard in? You know, like, just put it on his chest or put it on his gut or, you know, don't throw it a million miles an hour. You don't need to throw a fastball right. there, you know. So I think right. both, both – there's yeah. corrections to be made on both of those. But, you sure. know, those kind of third and two missed opportunities, you, you can't have those. Yeah. You know, and, and – That was big. 
it's not going to hurt you against Florida State, but those kind of plays make a, a, a 42 to 16 game, 26 game, you know, maybe 49 to 20 because now you get a little bit more distance, so your defense can kind of pin their ears back and get after it, you know. But but offensively, they just had a few too many, you know, of those types of mistakes. He had a one on one with Braden Lindsey. I thought Braden Lindsey did a poor job getting a release. I thought he did a poor job accelerating the football. Uh, but also Ian Book didn't really put any touch on the deep ball, and he needs right. to put more d- touch on that deep ball. So, so again, were there things that Ian Book needs to correct? Yeah, as a coach, there's things he needs to correct. But I'm, if I'm Tommy Reese, I'm also feeling really good about it because also the thing I liked is he looked really calm. He yes. looked like he was going through his reads. You know, maybe mm-hmm. maybe he was just fooling me and using his, you know, just doing head and shoulder <laughs> fakes, but he looked like he was going through his progressions. Yeah. You know, and, and when he was coming down to check downs, like the Michael Mayer touchdown, that was a check down. That yes. was not oh, his absolutely. initial read. He was reading to the right. He yep. saw the coverage drop, and so he came back to his check down. He saw Mayer had – and that's the throw he should have made to um, uh, to Joe Wilkins. You know, he if, if I remember correctly, he threw yes. that ball low uh, and, and, and hit him in the gut and – you know that's that's kind of where you need to be. So I mean, you know, when I watched that play, I was actually about to his eyes, but he 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 didn't throw it a million miles an hour. I'm watching the play now, actually. It was touch. It, yeah. yeah, it was touch on it, and he gave us and he hit the guy to run, and he and, but he was you can go read the play. He's clearly reading to the right as soon as mm-hmm. the ball snapped. He sees yep. that Florida State has him overloaded to that side. You know, the 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 tremble doesn't get a clean release on the wheel route. There's a safety sitting right there on Javon McKinley's in route. And so he immediately goes to the cross. If he waits on that and lets that linebacker recover, then maybe that guy knocks it down or, or Mayer doesn't score. But he read his read. It's not there. Come to the check down. Bam, get it off. And his feet took him through the progression. That's the other yep. thing I loved. His feet took him through the progression. And those are kind of things that we haven't seen from him in past games. And we saw on Saturday, which is very encouraging. Now, the key is do that next week. Sure. And then do that the next week. And then do that the next week. And there's going to be games where they're going to need him to, to throw it more. And he needs to do that. But, you know, I, I thought he was a great compliment to the running game on Saturday. Yeah, I I will, you know, echo that to a degree. I, I think that he looked the most comfortable in the pocket that I I remember him being. And that includes... Since, since 2018, honestly. Yes. <clears throat> early and, and, early and that, 2018. And, and that includes when he puts up big numbers against, you know, some lesser opponents. He still would escape the pocket when there wasn't really any need to, you know, all those different things. I thought that he looked comfortable in the pocket. He looked like he trusted his offensive line. And he says that he trusts his offensive line. Of course, that's what he says after the fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I thought he really showed he it played with like his play. It. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and to be honest with you, a game like there was on Saturday night with the talent that is on that defensive line for Florida State you you could understand if he's seen ghosts a mm-hmm. little bit, you know, because of the talent. And he looked as comfortable as I've ever seen him. And I, mm-hmm. I agree with you. I think he was going through his progressions. And, and I think that, that the, the play you highlighted to Mayer on the touchdown was perfect. I highlighted that in the chat. I, he clearly checked down, but it was the proper mm-hmm. check down. It, it wasn't... You know, captain check down like normal. It yeah, because if, if he would have gone to it down. too early, there's there's two guys right there. Yes, you know, and if exactly he goes right. to it too late, that guy catches up to him. It was perfect Correct. timing. Let them yep. ca- let because part of it is you can see your guys covered, but you still got to let him ride that route out. Because if you go to your check down too soon, that linebacker can square up and come back and you know tackle Mayer. But by letting the routes develop, 
mm-hmm. you then clear out that space for it, and and those are things that you just you really like yep. to see on Saturday. Now again, huh. were there were there some misses? Yeah, he's got to hit Tommy Tremble on that you know yeah. on touchdown in the fourth quarter or third quarter where they missed the field goal. He's got, he's got to hit that just like Kyron Williams needs to catch that third down ball, you know, because maybe fourth and two, maybe they're going for it instead of fourth yeah. and five, right? You know, um, so so yeah, there's and that's the thing, Vince. You had 554 yards of offense. You had 353 yards of offense. I thought Ian Book was efficient. I thought, you know, mm-hmm. he, he completed, I think, 64% of his throws, and then he had a drop, and he had, I think, two throwaways, right? So yeah. your, your, your adjusted completion percentage is around 70%, which, which is basically exactly adjusted where completion you percentage is you take away throwaways and, sure. you take, and, you, and you take away drops. Right, uh, and you say you're about seventy percent in your adjusted completion percentage, which is which is pretty good. Now, and you and you hit some deep balls, you know that's the other thing. Is is was he perfect? No. There's the point is there's a lot to clean up from Saturday, from a performance where you had five hundred and you know fifty four right. yards of offense, right? Forty two well, points to be. Yeah. That's a great place to be for. Well, and that's and we've talked about as a coach when you're in the film room. Well, when you win, you know by a comfortable margin, you you put up points you put up yardage all those different things it's so much easier to be nitpicky about Mm -hmm. the little things and cleaning those things up coming off of a win it just is because your players are like yeah if i clean that up boy we're really gonna be even better yeah yeah as opposed to it feels like you're piling on when you lose a game like that and you've got a ton to clean up so i i think that notre dame is in a good place you know going into the louisville game and we'll talk about louisville obviously later on in the week uh but i think they're in a really good place to welcome louisville to town next weekend um but Let's let's go over to defense uh, because I think I want to get your overall thoughts on the defense. Personally, I I was a little bit surprised at the success that Florida State had against the defense. Now the the offense slash special teams gift wrapped ten points for Florida State. So of those twenty six, you know sixteen were on the defense, right? So you know that's something to to keep in mind. Uh, but there was a lot of yards put up, and the the scrambling of the quarterback was a little bit concerning. I, I wasn't. The tackling was a little bit concerning, but again, coming off a three-week layoff, maybe you can explain some of that away, uh, but I think that there's work to be done defensively. Yeah, there is, and I think that there's a, there's a few things at play here, and, and I'm not a big fan of excuse-making, and I'm, I've been critical of Brian Kelly in the past for doing too much of that, uh, but I do think there was something to this when you find out after the game that, that uh, we mentioned the corners that weren't out till later in the week. So you have to throw Sean Crawford, who just is not a every down outside cornerback anymore. He just The injuries have just kind of taken that away from him. You're putting him in a situation where you're asking him to, against a pretty good receiving core. Yeah. And, yeah, he got beat a couple times, but he also battled and, and made some plays as well. And, and you, you just know you're going to get Sean Crawford's best. And, and even though he wasn't great in the game, he made the plays when he needed to make plays. You know, you're, you're in a situation where you don't have Myron Tungvaloa, so Jason Adamiola's got to step up. And I, I thought he handled himself pretty well. But now Howard Cross has to take a lot more reps. And, you know, it just – and there was – I know – I'm not going to get into names, but I know there was a couple defensive linemen that played on Saturday who didn't get cleared until this week of practice. Um, and so there was a lot of rust to shake off, but, but beyond the rust, the concerning thing for me beyond the rust, like the tack, the missed tackles, that stuff you kind of expect, you know, uh, sure. Houston Griffith taking a terrible angle and just whiffing on a, on a block. I can, I can live with that to a degree being late, getting over the top, you know, on a, on a certain play. But the, the issue for the bigger issue for me, Vince is number one, this is not a really good Florida state offense. No. They got some good receivers, but it's, there's no depth at receiver. Uh, the running backs are good. They're not great. 
um, the quarterback was making his first career start on the road at Notre Dame Stadium. I just, I, I, it's, you, you got to be a little disappointed he played as as well as he did, and mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and he missed some opportunities. I mean, there was another touchdown that Florida State should have had that he just he missed a wide open receiver in the end zone. Uh, you know, but to to see them have the success they did was was concerning for me because it exposed some structural flaws in the Notre Dame defense uh, that we've seen in the past. Look, Reed Zone has crushed Notre Dame in the past. The, their their defense, Clemson hurt them with it in 2018. Uh, Louisville hurt them with it last year. The fact is, Notre Dame hasn't played a lot of really mobile quarterbacks over the last couple of years. And the ones that they've played that do a lot of read zone have hurt them. You know, um, Virginia, I think of the first half of Virginia last year where, where Bryce Perkins just picked them apart. They haven't had that, but they haven't played a lot of quarterbacks like that that can run and throw. And to see that kind of rear its ugly head again was, was, was problematic for me because you gave up 150 rushing yards to, to Florida State that's like giving up 200 to somebody better, in my opinion. You know, it's, yards are relative. This is why you can't just look at stats and say, oh, wow, they did a great job. It's like, and we've used this example for Navy. You know, you, you could give up 280 rushing yards to Navy, and you played great because they're usually rushing for like 350. Well, it's another thing that's kind of like Florida State. When you're playing an offense that's really not good at running the football, and I don't think they're good at running the football – you know, that, that's a problem. I mean, you know, Miami, for example, they, the Notre Dame's numbers were very similar against Florida State as Miami's were. You know, Miami gave up 151 rushing yards, 4.2 per carry. Uh, Notre Dame gave up 153, 3.8 yards per carry. Well, I don't think Miami has that great of a run defense, you know, and, and Louisville ran for 209 on them. Clemson just ran for 258 on them, you know. So that was concerning for me. Very concerning for me because they have yet to address the structural flaws in the defense that have allowed teams to hurt them. And and I felt like when I watched the game, I felt like Notre Dame made some adjustments, but the success they had in the second half was more about Florida State not, not going to things that were working and Florida State not making good adjustments. And... And also missed opportunities. So, like, you know, Florida State ran a couple, you know, they were killing Notre Dame with the read zone into the boundary, and the boundary being the short side of the field or the weak side of the Notre Dame defense. So the drop player. So they were, they basically, like this, they basically attacked Notre Dame's buck linebacker all night long with, and we'll get into that specifically, and Notre Dame didn't have an answer for it. And the couple times they made plays is Florida State ran those same concepts to Jeremiah Wusu's side, which was dumb. Uh, and, and, and he blew up. That's good. That's good analysis you know? right but, there. Well, <laughs> like, and there was a couple of times where, you know, it's like, it's like, so second half, Notre Dame only gives up the six points. Yay. But that's because they had some individual players make great plays. I mean, there was, there was one drive where Notre Dame had a three and out that required two great plays from your safeties to get off the field. You had a linebacker turn a running back free and the guy catches the ball up the seam and it's about to be a big gain. But then DJ Brown drills the guy and knocks the ball out. Right, mm-hmm. the next play, the linebacker over pursues, opens up a huge counter run lane. But you happen to have arguably the best free safety in the country on your football team, and he closes 
like unbelievably. I'm like, oh, that's going to be a big play. I'm like, oh, that's, that guy's going to run for 30 yards. And then out of nowhere, Kyle Hamilton takes three steps, covers 40 yards, you know, and hits the guy and for a five yard gain. And then, you know, the next play, they, they make a stop. But like, you caught two breaks there that Florida State's not going to hurt you with those plays because you're just better than they are. Travis Etienne's not dropping that first ball. Right. Kyle Hamilton's going to have a harder time catching Travis Etienne in traffic. Michael Carter from UNC in traffic uh, than he is Deshaun Corbin or, or uh, you know, Lawrence Toafili. They're good backs, but they're not great backs. And when your safeties have to make those rescuing plays, like, yeah, okay, that worked out here, but your goal is not to beat – you know, you're not building your team to beat a 1-3 and three Florida State team. You're building your team to beat Clemson. So you everything yeah. should be judged by – would have this been good enough to beat Clemson? And the fact of the matter is the defensive performance we saw on Saturday is going to have to get a lot better. On Saturday mm-hmm. against Louisville, it's definitely going to have to get a lot better in, in a little less than a month when you play Clemson. And that's kind of how everything should be judged. Schematically, it needs to get better because Trevor Lawrence can move. Trevor Lawrence can run. This is not the – Oh, yeah. I mean, this is a kid that ran for 500-some yards last year, and Miami found out on Saturday he can run too. So you're going to have to have some answers for mobile quarterbacks because there's – Sam Howell, you know, I thought Notre Dame lost contain a ton in this game and Jordan Travis hurt him. Well, you go watch North Carolina play this year, Sam Howell will crush you when if you lose contain because he's immobile enough to escape. But then he does such a great job of like – it looks like he's taken off running and all of a sudden he just pulls up and your safety takes two steps down, he just pulls up and throws it over your head to the, to the receiver. You know, so there's some there's a kid at BC that's a pretty good mobile quarterback that can throw the ball over your head. So they're going to play a lot better quarterbacks than Jordan Travis over this next couple months, and so they're going to have to get a whole lot better. And um, you know, and, and I think that they will. I have a lot of confidence in Clark Lee that this game is going to probably look like more of an anomaly. But you can't just say, "Well, give another week of practice and you won't make those mistakes." No, there are structural problems that we've seen be exposed in the past with mobile quarterbacks. They just haven't played a lot of mobile quarterbacks that needs to get needs to get fixed. So you want to jump into some individual performances uh, on yeah. the defense there, Brian? Yeah, let's do okay, that. Okay, so let's start in the front and we'll work our way back. Uh, you mentioned it. You know, Myron Tagovailoa Mosa was unavailable in the game on uh, on Saturday night. So uh, Jason Adamalola steps up. He gets, a, gets his first start of his career. Uh, a little bit about him, and then also on the D-line as a whole, because obviously when you lose one, and we've talked in the past about how much the D-line subs, you know, bringing in fresh legs, etc., that affects, that's a domino effect all the way down the line. And you had mentioned Howard Cross as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, your thoughts on the play of the defensive line? So to begin with Jason Adamiola, it's hard for me to truly evaluate him because of, because of, uh, something that Florida State did that, that I don't know what Notre Dame's scheme was. So what Florida State was doing was they were running their outside zone read. So essentially they're running outside zone one direction, and the quarterback is going to read a backside defender for whether he gives or pulls and keeps it. Well, they were reading the three technique. So Notre Dame, in their defense, the three technique is almost always to the same side as the drop. And then the nose is to the strong side of the of the uh, nose is to the same side as the strong side end. So when you run that play, you want to read the three technique. And so they were reading the three technique. Well, I don't know what Jason Adamiola and Howard Cross, who had who had plays where they were the ones being isolated. I don't know what their responsibility was. I don't know if they were supposed to play the quarterback 
and so they were perfectly good staying right there in the hole and not closing on the play. Or if they were supposed to, to, to close on the outside zone, and then somebody else was supposed to take the quarterback. So I don't know what they were caught to, taught to do. And, and so it's and, and that's not something Florida State had run a whole lot because you're not running that with James Blackman. And so uh, it's hard for me to truly say whether they played those plays correctly. And those were a lot of what Florida State had success with. Now, beyond that, I thought that Jason played well beyond that. I thought he was quick off the ball. I thought he had good penetration. The big thing for him and the rest of the defensive line is they got to finish better to quarterback. And this has been an issue really in the two power five games that they've played so far. We saw Chase Bryce break off a couple sack attempts. We saw Jordan Travis do that on Saturday. There was a lot of missed sack opportunities. They had four sacks in the game, including two on the final drive of the game when they put James Blackman in. The fact that you only had four sacks against a team that really is one of the worst pass-blocking offensive lines in the country was really disconcerting for me. Um, I thought Dalen Hay struggled in this game. I think at times he lost contain. At times he wasn't supposed to have contain. That it looked like he lost contain, but I didn't think he played well. He missed a huge sack opportunity because he went high, and the guy ducked and he went kind of over him. That's a that's a that's a rookie mistake that a guy like Dalen Hayes shouldn't be making. Uh, you know, I thought Adi, I thought Adi Takumba Ogundiji played well. I thought Ovia Gofu played really well. He was probably the best drop they had in this game. I thought he was athletic. He was aggressive. I thought he made plays in pursuit. I thought he did a really nice job. Kurt Heinisch had some really good plays in the game, and then he had some really bad plays. He was getting washed on those outside zones, those read outside zones I was talking about because they were running the zone to his side. He was just getting driven down the line and driven off the ball. He was completely ineffective. And the fact that he allowed himself to be washed like that is what opened up those cut lanes. Because if he's physical at the point of attack, then that cut lane is is being is forced to be sooner, and now now it's easier for those nose tackles and backside linebackers to squeeze. So not only did Notre Dame have some force issues, there wasn't an outside guy to come down and force those cutbacks sooner. You also had your nose tackle getting ridden off the ball. That's a bad combination. And you know, and and he and then and then you you got your senior three year starter nose tackle or two year starter, but played a ton in in eighteen seventeen and eighteen. He's getting beat. He's getting a false uh, an offsides on third and five. You know, that kind of thing, that kind of thing yeah. flat out can't happen. I did like what I saw from Jacob Lacey. So there were some good things inside, but to truly know how well they played, I'd, I'd have to know what they were being taught to do on those read plays. Because that was one of the big issues that I had. The nose tackle play from your starter has to be better than what it was. Kurt Heinisch has to play better than that. And he's played better than that. He's His first two games are pretty good. So this, to me, strikes me as a bad game for him. But, uh, you know, I really feel like you can't have two of your veterans playing as poorly as I thought Kurt Heinisch and Dalen Hayes played on Saturday uh, and, and really thrive on defense. So that's certainly concerning moving forward. And, and then, you know, whether or not they get Myron Tungvaloa back this week. And hopefully what this tells Notre Dame is, hey, Jason is prepared to play more. So now you don't have to play Myron as much. You know, Howard Cross can give you some snaps. I don't think Howard Cross is a guy you want playing 20, 25 snaps a game like he did on Saturday. He's just not big enough. You know, he, he'll, he'll when he can just penetrate, he's pretty decent, but he can also get shoved around a little bit because he's still just an undersized guy. But, you know, you know, maybe you split reps between Myron and Jason and what that, and then you give Howard Cross five, 10 snaps a game. And what that's going to do is it's going to keep those guys a lot fresher when you get to November because let's be honest, Vince, whoo. 
that November schedule is looking a lot tougher right now than it maybe it was for some people to begin the year when you look at how good Clemson obviously is. North Carolina's so far been pretty good and then and especially on offense and then BC is now three and one. And BC's a two point conversion attempt from going to overtime against North Carolina, who's currently ranked fifth and sixth in the two polls. So you're gonna need these yeah. guys as fresh as possible when you get to uh when you get to November. So let, let's move one step back. Linebackers, you know, you had a buck linebacking position where the two guys that played didn't play at all in the last game. And uh two mixed reviews, I would say. Uh watching the watching uh watching the game. Obviously, uh Jeremiah Wusukormoa had one heck of a game. I mean, he was all over the field just laying wood on guys. I mean, he was he was fun to watch, uh, but I want to get your thoughts on the linebacker position. Yeah, when people say, oh, you know, Notre Dame doesn't have speed, I'm like, okay, I want you to go ahead and watch number six <laughs> and go ahead and watch number 14 and uh, and let me know what you think about that. Uh, he was excellent. I thought the rest of the linebacker play was really inconsistent. I, I think oh, top to bottom, I think the second best linebacker on Saturday was probably Bo Bauer. Uh, I thought Bo, Bo made a couple big mistakes in that game, and they were both on the same drive. It was earlier when I talked about the running back being turned loose and then the backside linebacker over-pursuing and getting sucked in on a counterplay, that was both Bo Bauer. But then I think he also had the play on third down of that same drive that ended the drive. <laughs> you know what I mean? So he made up for yeah. it. And then, and then he had another play. He had, a, he had a sack in the game, but he had a play that a lot of times it's the play, like it's like the interception from Sean Crawford that, that people talk about, right? And and you look at how big of a play that was, and you say, boy, just what a great play! And, and it was a great play. I mean, it was it was typical of what we expect from from a, you know from Sean Crawford. It's what we always kind of expect him to do, right? You expect him if the game's in the line, Sean Crawford's going to go make a play for you. I mean, that's just that's who Sean Crawford is. But you had to get to that third down play first. You know what I mean? And to get to that third down play. Bo Bauer had to make a big play on second and goal. And they ran a they ran a quarterback counter, which they had been killing Notre Dame with all game. And Bo read it perfectly. He was patient and he shot through the gap. And then he kind of got tripped, but he had the athleticism and the awareness to stay on his feet enough to where he could get to the quarterback and bring him down. Now, if he doesn't make that play, that's a that that could have been a touchdown, or at very least, he gets you know, three, four more yards, and now it's third and goal at the one or two, and Florida State's not running the sprint out pass. You know what I mean? That Sean mm-hmm. Crawford's going to pick off. So the third down play from Crawford was that was the game clincher. But if Bo Bauer doesn't make the second down play, then that play doesn't happen. You know what I mean? So it was good to see Bo make some of those kind of plays that were huge in the game. Now he just needs to clean up those mistakes. I thought Drew White, Drew White was aggressive but but undisciplined, I thought. I thought he missed too many tackles. And I thought the buck linebacker play was from Shane Simon was was below average. I thought when you know he had a couple nice stunts. When he stunts, he's good. When he just says, Hey, you know, Shane, go at the snap and attack that. Yeah. He's really good. When he has to make reads, he looks lost at times. He yeah. really struggled with his at his angles. It looked like at times he wasn't sure if he was supposed to take the quarterback or the running back. He got sealed inside. He got sucked inside a whole bunch of times on counter plays. Like the play from the buck position against Duke and Florida State was way different than the play of the Bucks against South Florida. And now I get one of those guys you didn't have, but my question is how bad does Jack Lamb have to be in practice or something? I don't know what for him not to get his chance to play after what we saw from yeah. him last year. 
I, I it, it blows my mind. And, and it's not health. I know for a fact he's not unhealthy. But when we watched Jack Lamb play against South Florida, he was much better than anything we saw from from Shane Simon in the, either of the first two games. Yeah. So, you know, I, I guess I have to get down to that question again is what do you care more about? How a guy plays on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday or how a guy plays on Saturday? Because, mm-hmm. you know, Shane Simon looks a lot to me like the guy he was last year. He's going to play hard downhill, but if you do anything other than run right at him, he's going to have problems. And then we watched Jack Kaiser and Jack Lamb make a lot of plays last week. Because here's another thing, and, and, I, and I'm hesitant to use this as an example because – I think their their grades this year have been really inconsistent and, and sometimes just downright stupid. For example, uh, Saturday apparently, according to Pro Football Focus, was the worst run-blocking game of the season for Notre Dame. By far. So I'm hesitant to use this, but they have Jack Lamb graded out as, you know, their best linebacker so far. Um, you know, unlimited snaps, but still it's kind of sure. like, you know, I thought he played well. I thought Jack Kaiser played well, and it just it blows my mind that they're not. It's not like Shane Simon's playing great either. I mean, it's just like there's no reason. Heck, I don't care. Put Drew White at Buck and put Bo Bauer in a mic. But uh, you know, that's my thing so far. Now, I also remember complaining a little bit about the play of the Buck linebackers early last year, and Osmar Bilal got going. So there's a certain level of trust Clark Lee in this whole thing, and I think he's earned that. But my faith in that is diminishes every time I watch Shane Simon play. So he's going to have to get better in a hurry or they're going to have to figure, figure something else out in my opinion. Now I will say that in today's press conference, Brian Kelly did mention the fact that, you know, all the linebackers need to know both positions. You know, they need to know the mic, they need to know the buck And so maybe, you know, there's some internal discussion about putting the best two guys out on the field at the same time, regardless of position. But it kind of goes back to of I'll believe it when I see it kind of situation. You know what I mean, Brian? Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, I hate when people say this, but, you know, I'm from the show me state, you know, Mm -hmm. that kind of nonsense. But, you know, there is a bit of that. Yeah, I. I want the best players on the field. It's like offensive line. If I'm going to put the five best on the field, I don't care if you're a guard or a tackle. I'm going to turn you into whatever so I get the five best on the field. I think a lot of that applies at the linebacker position as well. And, you know, he gave me some hope that that might be something that they're talking about. But, again, uh, until I see it in a game, I will not be a believer. Yeah, I mean, and and what does that mean? Does that mean, you know, Drew White's going to be playing some buck and you're going to play more of Bo Bauer? Because you're not going to play Bo Bauer. I mean, yeah, it's good that Bo Bauer learns Buck, but Bo's not a Buck in my opinion. Right, uh, right, know, right. Does that mean maybe you play some Jack Lamb at Mike and, and then you put Drew out there as well and maybe you maybe you make Drew White a full-time Buck and then you make Bo Bauer and Jack Lamb be your Mikes? You know, because Jack Lamb's played some Mike in the past too. Shane Simons, when he's been at his best in the past two years, is, was as a Mike. You know, so, sure. um, you know, and then, of course, with the Rover situation with Brian Kelly announcing today that Paul Mawala tore his Achilles on Saturday night, oh, you know, and, yeah. and you know, Isaiah Pryor is going to be his backup. I don't know if that's the long-term answer there. So do you move yeah. Maris, uh, you know, Luafau out there? Sure. Um, you know, and that's what it, he was, that was what he was recruited for, if yeah. I'm not mistaken, wasn't Yeah, he? well, recruited to play there, but with the thought that he would eventually transition inside, you know, and then they played okay. him there some in the spring. And I know for a fact that Maris spent some time in fall camp playing that position. So, 
you know, they're, they're going to have to do that. And, and I, I, if he's being honest, and again, I'm always, um, I'm always hesitant to take much of what Brian Kelly says at press conferences other than things like, you know, hey, Paul Moore is out for the year. That, okay, I don't think he's going to make that up. But I just tend to take a lot of <laughs> right. what he says during press conferences with a grain of salt. Um, but if he's if he's being real and they're having those conversations, that's good. It means that there's there's a level of accountability that you need there. And and because the reality is 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 linebacker has the Buck linebacker has been a problem in two of the three games they've played so far. No, I, I think you're 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 correct. And I that's first of all, you do need a a very good backup to Jeremiah Wusukormo because, you know, he's not gonna be on the field the entire time. And God forbid something happens to him. You need to have somebody that's ready and raring to go in that regard. So I, I think that you make a good point that the backup to JOK is very important. They need to get that ironed out. If Isaiah Pryor is the guy, then great. But I'm not sure if that's the case right now. So I think that's one area that needs to be addressed immediately. And and again, the Buck linebacker position is still wide open in my eyes. It, you know, Jack Kaiser obviously has played the best that we've seen, but at the same time, he was out this past week. And I would have liked to see him. He may not even- be back this week until middle end of the week. We don't right. know yet. And and I'd like to see those guys on an even playing field playing against the same opponent. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So you can get fair film on whoever is up for that position uh, because you're still going to have the people, well, it was South Florida. Okay, it was South Florida. Duke's 1-4 and four and Florida State's 1-3 and three with a win right. over Jacksonville State in which they were down 21-7. to seven. Okay, <laughs> right. let's be real. No, the, I'm with you. The level of play between South Florida and Florida State is much closer than the level yes. between either of those two teams in Notre Dame. Let's be oh, honest about that. Could, I, believe me, I'm with you on this front, but I'm – I'm talking about what I'm hearing from other people. You know what I mean? And and you're right. He may not be 100% going into the Louisville game. And so you may not get a full ready-to-go Jack Kaiser until you're on the road at Pitt. Um, and that's a formidable opponent at this point. So, uh, you know, we'll see. I, I'm, I'm still, I've still got my eye on that position group. You know what I mean? And uh, and then see kind of where that goes and how, how that uh, – that depth chart matriculates into the future because right now it's it's wide open. It's absolutely wide open. Uh, but Brian, let's move let's move to the secondary. Uh, as you had mentioned earlier, Sean Crawford had to play corner for obvious reason. I mean, guys didn't come back to the very end of the week, and so depth was an issue there. So he's playing corner, which means Houston Griffith is now starting at safety. Uh, so you got two guys kind of playing in different positions. You know, we've established the fact that Sean Crawford probably isn't an every down outside corner anymore. He's more of a nickel, uh, a safety, if you will, as well. Uh, but he's the kind of guy that you can lean on. I would much rather have him out there than a true freshman who is like a deer caught in headlights. So, uh, you know, Sean Crawford made plays when he needed to. Um, he got beat a few times, of course, but I wanted to get your feel for the play of the secondary. Well, I mean, the the reality is they have a freshman on the team who would not play like a deer in headlights, but he didn't start practicing, I think Brian Kelly said, till Thursday. Right. right? I mean, so again, this factors too. into Cam Hart wasn't available, right? Um, you know, I don't think he was cleared till Friday. Nick McLeod and, and Clarence Lewis weren't cleared till Thursday, which meant they they couldn't play a, a ton. And Nick McLeod did not look good in the game. I mean, he missed tackles. He was getting beat on. He got beat twice on fourth down. Uh, he's better than that, right? And then when 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 Brian Kelly announces that 
he didn't start practicing really till Thursday. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, I get it. That makes a lot of sense. That's why he didn't look good. Uh, so that whole thing, I felt a little better after the game than I did during the game. Because during the game, I'm like, wow, the secondary is really struggling. And I'm having the same thought that I'll, probably a lot of Notre Dame fans have, which is I am not looking forward to this secondary if it plays like this against you know teams like Louisville, uh, Clemson, North Carolina, even North BC, Carolina, yeah, you know, yeah. and um, but it's not the lineup we're going to see the rest of the year. Yeah, you know, I I don't think Sean Crawford's going to play. Now Brian Kelly made a comment in his Monday press conference. Where we talked about you know they may do more nickel. Well, that could be if you don't have a second corner or second rover that you feel great about. That's how you minimize some snaps from Jeremiah Wusu's. You go nickel. And you put Sean sure. Crawford in the nickel. And then they have Nick McLeod, Trick Bracey outside, and then you've got your safeties. Now, that's contingent upon Houston Griffith has to play better. I thought he played really well against South Florida. I thought he played poorly against um, Florida State. Some of it could be timing. Uh, I thought he was late getting over the top on a corner out where Shane Simon got beat for 30 yards. He's got to give more help there. He missed a, He took a bad angle on a tackle and just whipped in the hole. Uh, you know, and that wasn't good. But then he had some other quality moments too. So he's got to play better so that they can feel more comfortable playing Sean Crawford there. I thought DJ Brown did a good job, but the reality is DJ Brown's a little bit more limited compared to Houston Griffith athletically. So you're kind of one guy's better athletically, but he's he's not making a you know he's he's been inconsistent so far, and then the other guy's a little bit more consistent, but he's not the kind of athlete you want to be throwing on the field against you know teams like. North Carolina, Clemson, and, and teams like that. And that was kind of the issue that they had in 2017 with Nick Coleman. You know, Nick Coleman was a pretty steady player, but he just he just physically couldn't match up with the better teams on your schedule. And D.J. Brown is more Nick Coleman than he is, in my opinion, Jalen Elliott or Aloy Gilman. So that really is the key. And they got to they gotta figure out that other safety position because that, if, if you feel good about that, then you can move Sean Crawford to nickel. And but if you don't, then you're going to have to keep Sean Crawford at safety, and he hasn't exactly played great at safety either. I mean, this right. no, I there's agree. a reason this was his most impactful game because he's more of a natural corner. He's just not a guy you necessarily want on an island against six foot four, fast Tamorian Terry. Um, most teams don't have that kind of guy, but North Carolina does, and Clemson does. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so that's the concern. So so that that's probably the group that I'm most concerned about coming out of this game. I think the defensive line, I chalk it up mostly to just a bad game. And that's the thing is we, we got to not overreact to individual games. You know, to me, I care more about patterns. You know, part of my concern with, with the Notre Dame offensive line, the previous two years, wasn't that they had a bad game here, bad game there. It was patterns. It was things that you saw, even in the games where they, where they put up good numbers, you'd see things and say, that's not going to work against a team that doesn't suck, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and I apologize for the crude way of saying it, but there's no other way to say it. (laughs) Sometimes you can just out talent people and you can actually play bad. And as a coach, you know, boy, we play like this against, you know, insert good team here. We're going to be in trouble. And the defensive line has played well this year. They just, they had a bad game in my opinion. And, and, and schematically there's some things they got to clean up. The linebackers, Drew White's better than what he is on Saturday. He had a bad game. You know, that's not the norm of what we see from Drew White. The Buck linebacker is concerning, and then the safety position is concerning because Houston Griffith and D.J. Brown, to me, don't haven't proven themselves enough to where you can just say, hey, it was a bad game. And and so that's why they got to clean that up and figure that out because if they don't get that other – that safety – and I've been saying this all offseason and all through fall camp, Houston Griffith, to me, is the key to this secondary because if Houston Griffith steps up, you can now use Sean Crawford all over the field. 
And it's also right. easier to protect Sean Crawford if Houston Griffith steps up. Because there's times you can play Sean at safety. There's times you can maybe play him outside a corner against certain teams. And there's times when you can put him in the nickel. But if Houston Griffith doesn't step up, then you got to keep Sean at safety more. And, and so that's why I say he's got to play better. If he plays better, then I feel good about the secondary. Mm-hmm. If he doesn't step up and he continues to be inconsistent, then there's going to be some concerns because there's – again, look, the schedule gets tougher. And starting this weekend – now, the schedule doesn't get tougher this weekend for the Notre Dame offense. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but it gets tougher for the Notre Dame defense because sure, Louisville's sure. got athletes. and I mean, they, they've got a better quarterback and a better mobile quarterback than Florida State does. They've sure. got a much better running back than Florida State has, and they're better at receiver top to bottom than Florida State has. And their line's not any good, but neither was Florida State's, and the Notre Dame offensive line, defensive line didn't exactly you know, dominate that matchup the way that I thought that they would. So, you know, and then once you get past Louisville, you know, you, you got that game against Pitt and Georgia Tech, but then in November, boy, goodness gracious, the, the, the defense is going to be tested. So they're going to have to figure some things out and uh, make some adjustments. Some, some of it's personnel, some of it's scheme, uh, some of it's just cleaning up. You've got the right personnel there. They just have to clean certain things up. Let me let me ask you real quick uh, b- before we move on. You know, next week is Louisville. We know what the offense can do. We know what the defense can't do. Um, is that a good next game for this defense? Because they can, you know, for for example, they can play a certain way, but know that the offense probably has their back, and, and it's not going to be all on the defense's shoulders. Does that make sense? Yeah, it is. I actually think this is a great timing for a Louisville game for a different reason. I don't okay. think it's necessarily that because I don't think that's how the offense looks at it. Maybe the coaches do, but I, or the defense looks at it. Maybe the coaches do, but not the players. I think it's great because you can immediately put the changes you need to make to, to work. Mm-hmm. And what can be concerning is, and this is what's hurt Notre Dame in the past because of their, their national schedule is, you're playing teams from different leagues week after week. And the reality is leagues kind of tend to all play certain ways. I mean, the, the Big 12, you kind of see the same thing on offense and defense no matter who you're watching. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, so, so th- this, this, the fact that they're in the ACC helps, but the fact that they're playing a team with a mobile quarterback, talented running back and talented re- running back and receivers, and they're going to do schematically, they're going to do things that similar are similar to what just hurt you. I love as a coach because it's like, we, I don't want to have to wait a month before we got to figure out and fix those things. I want it fresh on their minds. I want it. I want to be able to drill it on in the film room. I want to drill it on Tuesday in practice. I want to drill it on Wednesday in practice. I want to drill it on Thursday in practice. I want to drill it and walk throughs. And then I want to go apply it on Saturday. But if you're playing Navy or if you're playing Stanford, you know, or, or Wisconsin on Saturday, you don't get to apply those things until, you know, down the road when you play Louisville. But now, you had your struggles against Florida State. You still won the game. Now you're playing another team that's even better, but they're going to do a lot of things that just gave you problems. Well, when you're coached as well as I think Notre Dame is coached on defensive, defensively, I'm glad that they're going to get a chance to go out and apply those things right now. You want to show me you're better at this? Go do it on Saturday. Not wait a month, right? Let's fix it on Saturday. And so I think that is, to me, I do think you're correct, Vince, that the timing of this Louisville game is perfect for Notre Dame because they can immediately address what happened on Saturday and then go out this upcoming week and put those things to practice on on the practice field and then into the game. They can apply those things on the practice field 
and then on the games, and they can see it again. Like, okay, did we make the adjustments or not? And if you're if not, then you know you have a couple weeks before Georgia Tech's going to do similar things, and then of course Clemson. So you have games to where you're going to be able to see, okay, we made this adjustment. Is this adjustment going to work? As opposed to you know, you, you play this game and then you've got Navy and then you've got, you know, old Wisconsin, then you've got like old school BC, right, with their power football. And you don't really know if those adjustments are going to work for a month. And then you get that one game against a new look and then Clemson's the next week, right? So it's like, oh, okay, this didn't exactly work. We're going to have to hope we have the answer against Clemson. Well, Notre Dame's going to have at least two games between now and Clemson where they're going to be able to play offenses that are going to challenge them the way that they were challenged on Saturday and struggled. And that's a good thing because now you know if those adjustments and those corrections you made, number one, were sound schematically, and number two, took by the players. And then they go out and execute it. So, yeah, I think the timing of it was uh, was is, is really going to be perfect for Notre Dame. Okay. And to your point – it it is nice knowing that the offense is starting to hopefully hitting its stride. Yeah, to right. where they can go because it's like this: if, if you're Clark Lee, you can you can go to, say to BK on the headphone, "Hey, coach, look, we've got we got to make a major adjustment this half. You know, get with Coach Reese. If they can give us a nice long sustained drive, that's going to be huge for us. And Notre Dame has the ability to do that. Hey, and then Kelly switches over to the offensive headset. Hey, Tommy, let's really come out this series and and. And and push, you know, we gotta let's run the football. Let's let's you know let's really hammer it. And then if we can, well, now of course with the running backs Notre Dame has in the offensive line, Chris Tyree may go seventy on the next play. Right. <laughs> but yeah. the point Good is point. they have the ability to do that, and that's where you know as a coach, it's like if if that happens to Oklahoma, they're screwed because their offense isn't changing. It's going to go fast, and sure. that's why big reason why they suck. What's one of many reasons that they're they're pretty terrible on defense. <laughs> But but that's where I think this you know, is complementary football. Notre Dame's offense and defense are complementary football, and if the offense can can play like it has the last couple of games, which means score a lot of points uh, against an, an offense that, I mean, how Notre Dame played on Saturday against Florida State would be like the best defensive performance of the season for Louisville, right? And, and I'm being serious right. about that. I'm not no, like being right. flippant. Like they would love to have a because if they could hold a team to 26 points, they might be undefeated. Yeah. You know, but they they can't hold teams to under twenty six points. So yeah, having an offense that can score with them early, if you're having some of those issues, is is a positive for the defense. But at the same time, they need to figure some stuff out, and uh, they need to make those corrections. And now they get a chance to do it right away. Well, I we would be remiss if we didn't bring up special teams. I'll touch and on them. Speaking real fast. of correcting things right away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Seriously, <laughs> uh, fumble on the punt return, which was not good, and then they almost had another issue where a guy got blocked into uh, the punt returner, which so almost had another turnover there. Uh, then you got a missed field goal. So I mean, Jay they got it cl- wasn't that great on Saturday either. Yeah, that's a very solid point as well. So I mean, things to clean up in special teams, which usually for this team isn't the case. Yeah, first two um, games special teams is excellent. So it's yes. one of those things where I look at it and I say, "As a bad game, aberration." Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah, I, I'm I not, agree. I'm not worried about special teams, but we got to mention it because yeah. that turnover, you know, miss field goal obviously takes points off the board, and the uh, the the fumble on the punt return put points on the board for Florida State. Yeah. So didn't hurt them uh, as much against Florida State, but again, sure, you do that against North Carolina or yeah. Pitt or 
or uh, Boston College, or and obviously Clemson, Clemson it sure. could be more. It could be yeah. more problematic. So we had to mention it, no question about it. But I'll let you uh, kind of take the floor, wrap things up uh, as far as your expectations moving forward. I think you've, you've covered it all, but just kind of you know wrap us up as far as uh, what you're looking for from the offense and defense moving forward. Yeah, I just think it's it's cleaning things up. I mean, that's what good teams do, right? You you mm-hmm. have the issues. You know, I think when you look at Clemson and how they played against Virginia uh, two weeks ago. They had some mistakes that if you do that against Miami, they're going to hurt you. Well, they went out and practiced. They cleaned it up. They didn't make those corrections. They came out and played really hard and, and really dominated Miami in a game that really wasn't as close as the final score dictated, and the final score was 42-17. to 17. It could have been a lot worse. <laughs> and that's what good teams do. I think we've seen that from Notre Dame in the past. Uh, I think we've seen this team in recent seasons. One of the good things that Brian Kelly has done in the post-2016 makeovers, you don't often see them have two bad games in a row on one side of the ball. Uh, they tend to make those corrections. It, you know, it's happened from time to time, but it, it normally doesn't happen. Uh, you know, and, and it's definitely been true on on defense. I remember back last year when Notre Dame had one of the most embarrassing performances of the post-2016 makeover against Michigan last year. Well, the next six games, the defense was brilliant. And so Clark Lee has proven that he can do the things he needs to do to make adjustments when things aren't going well. Hey, we struggled in this game. Let's make some corrections. I think back to the the twenty the 2018 season when they really struggled in the second half against Wake Forest, and Wake Forest ran the ball all over them. Well, that next week against Stanford, the defense really stepped up and played great against Stanford. So they have shown the ability to make have struggles, but then make the corrections and then come back and, and get them fixed. And so I, I, that's something I want to see. I want to see if this team, this staff has the same ability to do that on offense. I think that they will. Uh, and, of course, at Irish Breakdown, we're going to have a lot of analysis of this game. Uh, Vince, I know you're working on right now setting up a an uh, interview for a podcast later this week where we'll be talking to a beat writer that covers – uh, the Louisville football team. This is a big game for Louisville. Their season's on the line on Saturday. If they lose this yeah, game, they're gonna, yeah. you know, they're they're gonna struggle to have a winning record. I mean, uh, you know, so this is a huge game for them. They've got to. They've. I mean, they're gonna. I mean, their backs are against the wall. And and the con- the concern if you're Notre Dame is you don't want to play a team that has Louisville's talent on offense when they're in a we've got nothing to lose environment. And they're one and three. They're gonna be at least two touchdown underdogs, if not more. Um, that and and they literally have nothing to lose on Saturday, because their schedule doesn't exactly get a, a lot easier after they play Notre Dame. They play Florida State at home, which you know, is a game you think they should win. Then they play Virginia Tech, which is not going to be easy. They play at Virginia, which isn't going to be easy. They got to play at Boston College, which isn't going to be easy. So they are in a gotta win now mode, and and they're dangerous enough and athletic enough to where if you don't bring it, they can give you problems. So you know you don't let the one and three record you know, lull you into a sense of complacency with this football team. Should Notre Dame win? Yes. Should they dominate? Yes. But is there a lot we need to learn about this Louisville football team and the Notre Dame football team? Absolutely. And, you know, we'll do our best to to bring you all the analysis of it as we get into the week. So the depth charts are already out. we got those on the front page at, at irishbreakdown.com. And, of course, uh, tomorrow we'll dive into some players to look at. We'll kind of give a first glance at Louisville, who they are what their numbers look like, and then, of course, some of their top players. And then, of course, Wednesday, Thursday, we'll get into, you know, stacking up on paper, keys to victory, those kind of things. And then on Friday, we'll, of course, we'll have our our, uh, our predictions out. So a lot going on this week, lots of coverage, and we're happy to have all of you with us at irishbreakdown.com. So for Vince Sedari, I'm Brian Driscoll. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Make sure you're locked in irishbreakdown.com, and we will talk to you again very soon.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.